0: Hi everyone, this is Jolisha from Sharebird. Thanks for being a loyal listener of our podcast. We're excited to announce that we just launched Sharebird Premium, a content library of proven playbooks, case studies, templates, and lessons learned used by product marketing leaders at the fastest growing companies, including many of who have been guests on this show. Start critical projects off right and avoid costly mistakes with Sharebird Premium. Visit sharebird.com playbooks to get access
1: you're losing 30% of your deals to competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD, Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live and makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. That's why if you ever
0: get ego the best thing you can do is call it. I
1: got this. Welcome back to season five of the Product Marketing Experts Podcast. Today I am really excited to have with me Lashawn Williams, the VP of Marketing from Observable. Welcome to the podcast, Lashawn. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your path into product marketing?
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Okay, so how I got into product marketing, I'm one of those examples of like a zigzag type of career that's gone a lot of different ways. So I think the main thing back back in the day, I decided that I was going to teach myself product design. And I had all these different tons of ideas. And so I keep track of them. And so I decided I was going to build this one out and I would teach myself how to do product design to do it. I'd already taught myself how to do some graphic design and brand design to match the copywriting I was doing. And so I did that and started playing around with it. I designed all the mock-ups for this on-demand babysitting app because I was a new mom at the time. And... From there, I built out the marketing website and all of the messaging and kind of had to think about every single thing holistically. I knew how I was going to sell it as I was building it. And in that process, I learned that I really, really liked sort of figuring out how to speak to the audience and connecting with what they really wanted. That wasn't just like the solution, but what it did for them. So like one of the things I kind of framed it around was this idea of like bringing spontaneity back into the lives of parents and that being able to have the me time and the we time and any time whenever you wanted it. This is kind of, I started to kind of stumble into like, oh, this is really fun. Like this is the fun part of marketing. This is like, it's behavioral. It's like you're getting into the psychology of it. And so then I started to learn like, oh, there's this thing called product marketing that does this. That's where you get to focus on this. And so after that, I ended up taking a role with another company and leading brand and creative They didn't have product marketing. So my team did all of the messaging. And so then I was like, okay, this is great. And then stumbled my way into startup SaaS and ended up leading product marketing and building it from scratch at a series B company and growing it there. And I just kind of fell in love with all of the things. I went from doing the messaging and the positioning into like running the launches and figuring that out just sort of, you know, as you go and developing all of those fun templates and things as you go. And then I just kind of continued to make my way through product marketing and grow as a PMM. I think definitely doing it in a very organic way allowed me to adapt the skills I already had and kind of really get my hands dirty in a lot of the PMM work. And that led me to where I am today because I think of the cross-functionality of product marketing work and the intersectionality of it. I think that it is a role that leads very well into being a VP of marketing
1: for sure. And what an incredible journey that you've had from it sounds like what was a passion project that turned into kind of a full-time passion, so to speak, around product marketing and really marketing overall.
0: yeah, absolutely. I. I find that sometimes, you know, the passion projects and just those little side projects where you dive into something that you just happen to be interested in really sometimes lead you to other things and things that you wouldn't have even realized that you really, really liked. And so for me, that's kind of how it's been with my career. Like I said, prior to that, I had taught myself design. I was a writer by trade and started off in email marketing. And I was like, okay, this is great, but I'm not going to do email for like 20 years. And then I wanted to write more. And so I was able to get into that and do more copywriting. And then you're writing copy and I tend to like think visually. And so I wanted to be able to at least mock up what I was seeing my copy live within and ended up teaching myself design and really liked it. And then taught myself how to build WordPress websites. And you just kind of Fall
1: into things, and it's been great. Amazing. I'd love to dive into kind of the topic of ambiguity to like having more kind of process or clarity around things and specifically around release marketing. While there's been a ton published over the past, let's say, five years around how to bring new products to market and messaging and positioning, I think for especially a lot of startup SaaS companies, as you mentioned, there's still a lot of ambiguity around how to best differentiate and how to best bring products to market. And I think a lot of companies that at least I talked to, and I'm sure you probably talked to as well, still kind of struggle with this. And so curious how you handle release marketing at Observable and how you think about organizing and planning for releases at, at your current company.
0: So when I think about release marketing, I think for me, there are two things that come to mind that are super important. And I know this one is kind of like beating the drum, but that's the story is the strategy. And so I think about everything in story form. And so when I think about how you're going to organize the way that you think about the release as if it's a story. And so I've developed a template for that and it kind of reads in that way. So the idea is that you think about whatever it is that you're building and why through the idea of the story. And that's how you walk through all of your go-to-market planning. And it's so that anyone that you're collaborating with in the company has a very good idea of why we did this, what it is, and who it's for. And so I think for me, really creating that and refining that documentation has been super, super, super helpful in all of the collaboration that has to go on, whether it's a tier one or a tier three type of launch. So for me, the documentation is key and how you think about that documentation is really, really important. So when I joined Observable, PMM was not a function that had been built out. So of course, with my PMM background, That is a function that I said, we have to build this out. You know, I have to hire here. So of course that being my bread and butter, I did some of that work at the beginning, but also hired an experienced PMM to be the PMM lead for us. And so I handed over what I had as a template to help get her started. And she has sense, you know, for each company, you have to refine things a little bit, Right. So she has since refined that to work for the observable team. But the great thing was we lucked up and we were able to establish PMM early uh, alongside establishing the product management team. So the nice thing was that it all happened at the same time. So as a PMM, of course, you want to be involved early and often. And when you can set that precedent around releases, especially from the beginning, it's great. So we were able to work with them to where product marketing is not getting handed down these features and saying, hey, go release this. We actually have the benefit of being able to be part of the conversations very early on to know why we're building what before it's built so that we can already start thinking about that and have that level of influence around, okay, this is how we would message something like this before, you know, it's done. This is inserting that voice of the customer in there before it's done. So that as you're going, you're putting together your release doc, your go-to-market doc, however, you know, want to frame that. You already have had these discussions and it's well-informed and everyone's aligned. And so I think that's not always the case, but for us at Observable, it happens to be the case, which is really great. Like I said, because we caught it early. And I think that is part of the benefit of me being a PMM and the marketing leader kind of already knowing that ahead of time as I built out the PMM team to allow us to do that. So that's, you know, ideal scenarios. you have great documentation, but you're also involved very early and often to where there's early alignment on that. And to me, that makes it a lot easier to, when it's time to start working on those deliverables to rally everyone around it and for people to be empowered to go execute in their own functional
1: areas. That's amazing. I think a lot of people listening to this will likely envy the ideal scenario. This is honestly the first time that I've had a guest that had the ideal scenario where oftentimes it's product marketing trying to catch up to product or some fashion of that where maybe the product team has grown so fast and the product marketing team is trying to keep pace or trying to figure out how to move you know, a little bit more upstream and help them upstream. So that's an incredible scenario. How do you work with kind of leadership and your maybe product team team colleagues to kind of get that alignment initially upfront?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the way we do it, like I said, early and often, I think you have to have the conversations. So I'm your first guest who's had this. This is the first time I've been in this position too. And I just kind of, like I said, I saw it and jumped on it because I have been in that position before, right? Where you have way more PMs than PMMs. And so for me, it's really about the relationship building. I think that, you know, you have to look to each other as partners and it's about building that rapport. I think that that is a huge part of a PMM's job is right to build those relationships internally, especially with the product team. And so for me, that's one of the first things that I do is make sure that we're having conversations, whether that is brainstorming together or them sharing ideas or you sharing ideas, sharing things that you've heard, any feedback, maybe you're pulling in things from sales. I think keeping that communication channel is just sort of the first key to building the relationship and building the trust and credibility with each other. And from there, I think you build that respect and The PM wants to know what you think about something, right? And you want to share with them early and get aligned around your plans for a launch. And so I think that tight relationship is really what makes the ship sail
1: smoothly. Couldn't agree more. And ensuring that it's a trusted relationship and you're two sides of the same coin, so to speak, is incredibly important upfront. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are part of... Mostly, I would say earlier mid-stage companies, there's certainly some that are part of kind of later stage companies as well. But in a lot of the outreach that I get from PMMs or executives or different teams, there's a lot of different people involved in the launch process, but no really clear ownership over who kind of owns, not just the process, but different aspects of the process, even. And so curious how you've thought about this and how you've even empowered product marketers, maybe on your team at Observable or elsewhere, and how you've also set some of those expectations with other teams as well.
0: Yeah, one of the best things that I ever did was develop basically how we work together docs. And I did it with the two core teams that product marketing works with, product and sales. And so basically what we did was we decided where product marketing was the driver and where they were the supporter and vice versa and that was super helpful and creating those swim lanes and documentation for both teams it helped set expectations you know whose responsibilities are where and it also made decision making very clear when it came to that and so it was, you know, it could be something like, okay, product is the ultimate decision maker on what we built. Product marketing supports that. We can bring in voice of customer. We can share feedback, give our thoughts, but ultimately the product team is going to decide what it is that we build. When it comes to how we position it and how we talk about it, product marketing owns that. You can... Share with us your thinking and your thoughts, but when it comes to how we talk about this in the market, that's on us. That's where we make that final decision. And so we just had that for, we thought of all of the things that could come up. And as things did come up, we would add to the doc and make those decisions. And for me, that was, like I said, probably one of the most helpful things. We had a fantastic working relationship because it was collaborative, of course, but you also knew who was making decisions where, and we had agreed on it. And so that was very helpful. We did the same thing with the sales team and really kind of defining what sales enablement was going to be and how that would work. And again, it was, like I said, some of the best documentation (laughs) I could have ever done, because I think that can be the challenge with product marketing is where you influence and where you drive. And so the same thing, you know, when it came to a launch, for example, and you have one big launch plan and you have multiple deliverables, and those are several projects for oftentimes for people on different teams. And so with those would always have a dacy with the PMM who's leading that being the driver. And them being the driver is that they're the decision maker. And so it's their responsibility to do all of the, not just the wrangling, but the reviews and making the decisions around yes, go, no, go type of thing. So it also made that very clear that everyone working on deliverables knew who their point of contact was, knew who the final approval needed to come from and knew who to collaborate with too if they were, you know, had a project that was dependent on someone else. I hate to be the person I was like documentation, but (laughs) the documentation can be super helpful in just sort of defining those things. I think for people, sometimes you need to see it written down. You can say this person's the approver on it, but folks need to see it to believe it and stick to it. And so I think that sort of clear documentation comes into play and is really helpful.
1: I love that. Clear documentation to align expectations and drive momentum. I've certainly met and worked with many PMMs who I would say are maybe process averse, so to speak. They do not like process. They're creative. And by the way, the vast majority of them have been Phenomenal PMMs, but to your point, I'm also somebody who doesn't skew towards full process. But you know, we need to have clear expectations. I think a PMM is a momentum driving department, but in order to drive momentum, we need to ensure that we're working on the right things and that expectations clear with our counterparts. To your point,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I look at process as always in progress to me, so yes. it's never you know set in stone. It's also not the thing that you live by. I look at it as something that provides structure, right? It's not rigid. I think you always have to remain flexible. Being a PMM can teach you that more than maybe some other roles is that, you know, you have to be able to adapt and flex because things can change, but you just kind of try to keep some guardrails up to keep everyone on track. Most definitely.
1: Yeah. Processes is guidance. It's not, you know, punitive. So like, so to speak yeah. uh, for sure. And I mean, I think along those lines and how you, or, or rather how maybe every PMM kind of handles the progress of a release, how have you thought about as a manager, as a leader how do you communicate that kind of across the org and up and down the org respectively as well? Yeah, I think as a lot of times as leaders, that's one of the most critical things that we can potentially do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think some of that is dependent upon the size of the release, right? Oftentimes, if it's something that's small, you might just post something like that in a broader marketing Slack channel or however the team has it organized. When you're working with larger releases, I think, you know, something like that requires multiple updates, right? So you're not only typically keeping other leadership abreast and something like a go-to-market review, you're also keeping all of the other teams that are involved updated as well, right? Particularly the folks who are working on deliverables. They need to know where the product readiness is. And so what I like to do is part of really the release preparation to me is also having sort of regular stand-ups with everybody that's involved in it, right? And your job as the PM is to make sure that they're aware and up to date on where things are, particularly from a timing standpoint. And so that's what I like to do. I like to balance the sort of In channel comms, for me, it's typically been Slack, as well as like the regular stand-ups with the sort of core team of people working on the things, and then go-to-market reviews at sort of like milestone moments within the process. And so, of course, if you've ever done one of those big like six-month launches that has like a private beta and a public beta, you're doing the go-to-market reviews kind of in between all of those things and keeping everyone abreast. And I think it's just about airing on the side of over-communication and at different levels of fidelity for the involvement of different people. And of course that comes with it as the PMM. Sometimes you're the person who says, okay, well, you know, we found three bugs that are like Deal breakers and we have to fix them before we can release it. So there's a potential delay, right? And of course, everyone who's been working on all of the deliverables is like, oh no, and they're deflated. And so you're like part, you know, you have to deliver the good news, the bad news, be the cheerleader and kind of keep the momentum going and keep everyone moving forward which is part of it. So I think it's that over-communication and understanding that, again, it just, it boils down to like these relationships and like the people and knowing how to communicate with them and still keeping everyone, you know, keeping spirits up, keeping them upbeat, or if it's long and drawn out, it's all right. We're like almost there. I look at it like that. I feel like I got off tangent, but Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. Honestly, I, I couldn't agree more. And especially whereas a lot of companies have gone remote and still are remote, or, or at least hybrid, that over communication is so critical. When I imagine many of the folks listening to this probably don't have some of the same kind of hallway conversations that possibly they used to, or and so that over communication is just so critical.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, a Slack huddle isn't the same as running. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> pretty much every launch with maybe one or two exceptions but in pretty much every every launch i've worked there's always been something that's gone wrong part of the launch process, not necessarily at the last minute, although a lot of it is, tends to happen in the latter stage of the launch, let's just say. Curious, unlike some areas that you've seen launches go wrong and how you've, edged any commonalities between them and how you've kind of advised PMMs on your teams respectively to address them. Ah, oh, gosh. Let's see.
0: I mean, there's so many things that can go awry with a launch one one that was interesting was because i think you realize you know sometimes where things go wrong is where like something is surfaced that you no one thought to address before or you haven't run into it and didn't think about it and so i ran into one actually it was around what we were doing on social media and it was literally like static image or gif and so we had decided on a static image for the sake of time. We said, okay, we were willing to make the trade-off with time for that to be a static image and something else to be, I can't remember what it was. And then it arose that someone said, one of the other leaders kind of came in somewhat last minute, and said oh no it needs to be a gif like that's higher performing it has to be it's like it needs to be a gif and so it was like okay well who makes the decision here is that the pmm is it the leader of this team that's responsible for social or is it the creative director and we're like okay well we have to figure that out now because we haven't run into this before, you know, we're moving forward with the static image. We think everything's fine. And so we had to kind of like scurry, okay, who makes this decision? And I think we landed on the creative director, the creative team making sort of that final decision around that. But it was literally like, yeah, last minute, maybe the day before. So then of course, now you have to hurry up and you've got to make the gif. And you don't want to delay from something that feels so seemingly small, but we realize like, oh, we need a process for this. So there's that, you know, check, but then I've also had where you think you're ready for GA and there's a bug. There are two bugs that pop up. And now you have to sort of, you have to figure that out and work with the product team on what we're going to do. Is it a go or no go? I actually ran into that when I was kind of doing like a hybrid PMM-PM role because the PM had left. And so I had to step in. And so I was then working with the engineering team directly and another PM lead who just kind of also had a lot of other work. So wasn't totally focused on that. And so I became the person That was not just running the product marketing side of the launch. You're making the decisions on the product and if we're going to move forward with the product. And so I found myself in a go-to-market review, making the decisions on, okay, these are are our non-negotiables and this is why we can't launch without this. We can test and delay here. And then of course, having to cascade that down of, well, we thought it was going to be this week and now... It's probably going to be two more when everyone's been scrambling to do this hard work and doing that. But it's, like I said, it is where that process comes in. And I try to always remind folks, process this structure. Like you said, it's not a hard line. And so we have to be flexible because you just never know what can happen in the product when you get down to the wire and what might pop up. So that level of flexibility just sort of always has to be there. And I think as the PMM, you're the one communicating that to people, right? You're the one kind of like when something goes awry or something pops up, looking at positioning it internally <laughs> to everyone to say, okay, this is how we're going to look at this. This is how we need to do this, but here's why it's a good thing. It's a smart thing to do.
1: Totally. We do positioning a lot of different ways, right? With those internal mishaps, or even if everything's going great, we still have to position it internally a lot of times, and of course the product and everything else as well. But no, that's everyone runs into to hurdles. For anyone listening who's running a product launch right now who hasn't run into a hurdle quite yet, it likely will come up. Unfortunately, n- not that I wish for that, but better to be prepared, so to speak.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and flexible, right? Like yes. just kind of, you have to go with the flow. Exactly. It's- doesn't help to be like too uptight about it. And you just have to, okay, flex and adapt, and you're good to go.
1: Yep, exactly. As we were talking just before we started recording, and as we were doing a little bit of prep for this episode, I saw that you fairly recently went from product marketing to fractional CMO to now. VP of marketing. And by the way, congratulations on all the, the amazing recent career growth. But I, I think a lot of people listening to this and thinking about their kind of career path have been thinking about what is that next stage for me? What does that look like? If they're maybe currently in product marketing, how do I take an overall marketing leadership role? Things like that. So can you share a little bit more about maybe your journey, how you thought about it and how you actually took that or rather made that jump?
0: Yeah. So I've been pretty, I would say, intentional about the work that I do in every role that I've had. And so I've kind of always been like, okay, in my mind, I want to be a CMO. And so what are the things that I have to do to get myself there? And so I look at every role that I've taken as a step towards that. Even if you step backwards or to the side first and then go forward, To me, it has been all about setting myself up to where I can position myself well, hence product marketer. Love it. So I, you know, there's one of the things you do need to be able to tell your story very well, your own story, right? And position yourself very well. But I think I haven't been afraid to take risks. I haven't been afraid to say no when something isn't right. And I think that's probably one of the things that's been very important is every role isn't the right role. And I've also very intentionally made decisions around family. And I decided I was going to do that very early on. I decided that I could be an executive on my own terms, that I didn't have to be like an absent parent to do that. And so that's just kind of the way that I've thought about it. And I've just marched to the beat of my own drum. So I took a step away from being a PMM leader to do fractional, like marketing advisory and CMO work so that I could create more space with my family. But I wanted to still be able to like hone my craft and keep it fresh, but I could do it in that capacity without all of the other stuff that comes with being inside of an organization. And so I've kind of done that throughout my career, popped in and out what I said earlier, started off in email marketing, which ended up being a blessing in disguise because my initial thought was, I was going to like move to New York and be some like black Carrie Bradshaw at Vogue. And that was not it. That did not happen. I stumbled into digital and an email. And after two years, I was like, okay, this is great. Like I get it. I worked very closely on all the campaigns and everything. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave I'm pretty sure there was a recession during that time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. And I want to be able to build up the skill of copywriting more. And so I'm going to go. And I started just like freelancing and built a freelance business out of that. And then that trickled into, like I said, the design work. And then I said, okay, I want to build this. And then from there, doing those different things in between, set me up to then jump into the brand and creative leadership role. And then from there, I was able to transition into product marketing because it translated very well. And then I took that opportunity to then go and get my hands dirtier at a company that was further down the line, a later stage company, so that I could have experience at both like the sort of founder seed level myself. I could have it at the BC level, and then I could also have it at the DE level. So I sort of had the spectrum of startup experience. And I think just kind of compiling that experience in different scenarios and challenging myself in that way along the way set me up to see marketing very holistically in a company, which was what I wanted to do and led me into being able to be in the position to go into a VP role, which is where I am now. But I think I looked at every different opportunity to like build and expand my experience in a different way. And that's how I did it. And it's worked out. It's worked out so far. But for me, even at the VP level now, I think that there are still skills, right? Like I certainly took this role because there are things that you are still like, okay, I wanna take this and put it into practice that I've learned. And you have to put it into practice and see how it works, right? And fine tune it while you're there. It's my first VP of marketing role. So I am now learning that craft and figuring out how I adapt my experience to this role in a holistic way. And also the way leadership works at, the VP level versus
1: the director level. For sure. What an amazing journey. And I appreciate and applaud your courage for taking those intentional and I know it's not easy. So sometimes challenging steps. One question that I like to ask pretty much everyone that comes on the podcast is what's one thing maybe a mentor or a colleague or even a book has taught you in your career that stuck with you and served you really well throughout your career?
0: So... I don't know if
1: this is going to be like a little bit cheesy.
0: It's actually my husband. And I tell everyone, he is like the best salesperson I know. He's amazing at it. And what I learned from watching him in action and kind of talking with him is number one, like taking those risks. There's no reward without taking the risk. And So you have to just jump sometimes you have to just do it and trust yourself more than anything else, you have to be able to do that. And so I think that's been career-wise that has been super key is knowing yourself enough to know what, you know, know what you don't know and know your value and making decisions and taking risks based upon that. The second is people under people and everything being about your relationships with people. People don't make decisions logically. And so I'm not in sales, but marketing is, I call marketing sales without having to make the calls. And (laughs) you have to really understand people and know that their decisions are made from emotion, not logic, not practicality, So it's about you building that relationship with them, whether it's your brand building that relationship or, you know, being a marketer, working with sales folks, them building those relationships. That's what's key. And that's what's the driver. And then just like speaking human, like keeping it short and sweet and tailoring things to what people care about, right? I think oftentimes with sales and marketing, will want to tell them all about our product and all those great things. And like, they don't care. They care how it applies to them and their problem. And most of the time, like if you give people the floor to talk, that's what they want to do, right? Like they want to talk. They don't want to hear you talk. And so I think those things have been just really influential. And I think helpful to me as I've thought about my career. And then just also as I've thought about marketing and been able to take some of the things that are very beneficial in sales and that work and apply it to, like I said, marketing, which is sales without picking up the phone has been phenomenal.
1: Those are incredible lessons, LaShawn. Thank you so much. There's certainly a few things I can take there and I hope every listener can take from that. But thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and sharing your expertise and wisdom with us. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been great.
1: This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out Sharebird.